The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi there. Welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'm kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. Joining me today once again is my co-host for the day, spiritual rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah is also known as the queen of all animals, as we will get into later today. She's the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Hey, Jim. Hey, Big Universe. I am excellent. Spring is sprung here in New York, and it feels awesome. Yes, yes. We've got... uh, We've got an interesting guest today. Paul is coming on and he's going to talk about his amazing journey. I love when we talk about journeys. It reminds me of the Millennium Falcon and Firefly and all sorts of adventures. <laughs> that that is very true. That is very true. And I understand you've had some adventures recently on a on a on an animal journey here. Yeah, you know, we we're kind of in lockdown now in our homes trying to stay safe and keep others safe. And I went out to my Jeep the other day to find out there was an entire family of mice living in my glove compartment. And uh, it was a bit of drama while I figured out how to get them kind of rehomed to a different place in the yard. But I decided, since we're talking pilgrimage, right, and journeys and that kind of thing today, to have a pilgrimage in my backyard. Ooh. Which is is funny because, you know, I, I just got off a book tour, right? And I did 13 cities and I was all over the place. Came. Baltimore saw you, right? Um, But I don't spend a lot of time at home. And so I love this idea of kind of looking at my yard and figuring out who lives there and what lives there and what happened, you know, when spring sprung. Yeah, yeah. Now I have to say that you are quite the animal person. If I had found mice in my glove compartment, I would have first freaked out a little bit. And then I would have set them kindly on the ground nearby. But you actually, you waited for things to develop a little bit, which is so cool. Well, you know, and I went all new thought up on it because I, I opened it up. I saw the mom run. This, is, this was what the issue was. And she had three little babies that were still attached to her. And then there were three that were still in the glove compartment. Oh, my goodness. It broke my heart, right? So I kind of made, took the stuff out of the glove compartment, made the nest a little better. And then I went out on Facebook and said to everybody like, okay, prayer chain, 
right? Yes. Or positive vibes or affirmations or whatever it is that you do. I need it right now. And I love how people, even people who were like, uh, they're going to eat your car, right? They were still, <laughs> my, my husband included, uh, were still willing to put out something into the universe to try to help this mama come back and find her babies. And she came back. So, you know, uh, did a little scripting that we talked about a couple of weeks ago too. All these tools we've been talking about, hey, they work. Yeah. yeah that is so cool. That's so interesting. I have, maybe you can help me. Um, in my yard, there is an occasional black snake. It's just a garden snake that, that appears, um, but I'm convinced it's going to eat me at some point. And my wife says, that's ridiculous. And I say, I know it's planning this. Can you help me out with that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So I'm not sure that the snakes that we have around here are capable of eating you. I hear that, that rumor. Would be my... <laughs> that would be, I, I mean, I don't know that we want to challenge them to try, right? <laughs> That's but my concern, <laughs> is that they feel challenged by me, when, by my perspective, to attempt. Well, I have to say, I specialize more in the sacred furry and sacred feathered uh, and the sacred finned. Uh, but I will do a little research on the slithering this week and see if I can come up with some tips for you, Jim. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Let's uh, get into our quotes. If you're, are you open to dueling inspirational quotes? Oh, I am. Oh, I am. I have a short, pithy one. Okay. All right. okay. You ready? Yes. Reading means borrowing. Oh, I like that. That's interesting. Right? I can take that positive and negative. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that, especially since we've been talking to a lot of authors, and I'm an author, right? Reading means borrowing. Uh, any idea who that is? Ray Bradbury. Oh, no, but that would be a good thing for us to chat about. Um, it's actually a German physicist named George Christoph Lichtenberg. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and I, I, I like that because he was the first guy who started uh, looking at experimental physics in, uh, in Germany. And since we've been talking a lot of science, I thought, well, hey, a little bit of that. But uh, reading means borrowing. I borrow a lot in that case. I borrow a right? lot. Right. Perhaps too much. Is my mind cluttered? I don't know. Well, I don't know, Jim. Maybe that's why the snake's after you. <laughs> <laughs> going all Rudyard Kipling up on you now, right? There you go. Um, okay, here's mine. The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. Oh, I love that. That goes so well with today's topic, much better than mine did. What, who is that? Eleanor Roosevelt. You know that Eleanor Roosevelt? A lot of wisdom packed into that woman. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I give her an A plus generally. Yeah, I, I'm going to give her an A plus too. That's fabulous. And again, we won't talk about my physics grade as you brought up a physicist. So, you know. Well, or my physics grade. But luckily today we're talking authors and we love to do that. I have to <laughs> tell you this. When I read, when I read this guy's book, he is the only person that I have ever, and only author I have ever emailed after I finished the first, the last page of the book and said, please write another book. Oh, wow. I was, I was laughing so hard on the train while I was reading it. 
that people around me were, I mean, I was side splitting, just side splitting on the, on the, the antidotes that were within it. So I can't wait to actually talk to him in person today. That's exciting. Me too. That's going to be fun. All right. Shall we get into the rest of the episode? Let's do it. He's back. Reverend Raymond Anderson joins us with Raymond's Corner. So I have a question for you. There's a very powerful woman that you may have heard of, Dr. Maya Angelou. Yeah, oh, good, you have. So Dr. Maya Angelou is known for saying, of a part of many things, but one of the things she is very well known for saying is, when you know better, you fill in the blank. Come on. Yeah, it, right. When you know better, you do better. Okay, so pause for a second. When you know better, you do better. When you know, you do. Uh, so there's, there's this call for action. Huh. And, and I bring this point up because what I notice oftentimes is that you hear a lot about positive thinking. You hear a lot about change your thinking, change your life. You hear a lot about changing our beliefs. But we don't hear quite as much about once the belief is changed, once the thought is changed, once the paradigm is changed, it calls forth an entirely new way of being and acting in the world. And I don't mean just being as in, I am being absolutely still as I meditate. I mean being as the essence of all that we are ever becoming and our beingness as in our behavior, the manner in which we act and interact with the world. You see, when we know that God is all there is, it has to change the way we interact. See, it's one thing to believe that God is all there is and it's absolute goodness. It's one thing to think that idea and philosophical, you know, marinate on the idea of God is all there is. And it is, it is, it is, the, it is the very foundation upon which we rest and reside. Yes, it, it is all there is. Yeah, it's one thing to you know, place that in a theoretical realm, but it is a completely different thing to know it. If any of you ever watched the film The Matrix, you may remember when the Oracle is telling Neo that it's like falling in love. No one has to tell you that you're in love. You simply know it through and through. When we have this mystical experience and we know that God is all there is and we know that God is absolute and infinite goodness and we know that what it is is what we are and there is nothing separate, there is no God and us, there is only God showing up in, through, and as us. When we know that, no one needs to tell us. We know it. We feel it. The very essence of our being is it. And when we have that, we are then called to do differently. Different levels of conversation. We no longer allow people in our presence, in our family, in our circles to tell sexist or racist jokes and we simply let it slide. We step into a different way of being in the world. We ouch and educate when necessary, meaning someone says something and we say, hold on, mom, hold on, dad, hold on, sister, brother, uncle, cousin, nephew, niece, hold on, reverend, hold on. 
In order to be in integrity, we know that God is all there is, and we know that this infinite God, infinite goodness is the absolute of all that we are. That God, that presence, that love does not speak in that manner. And I'm calling you forth to raise your level of being in the world. See, it calls us to take on a different level of stewardship of our relationships, of the way that we show up. Just like medical professionals, at one point they knew nothing about the structure of the heart, the brain, the skeletal system. They didn't know anything about how blood moved throughout the body. But once they understood how circulation occurs and they understood blood transfusion and they understood heart contract and and pump and they understood breathing and respiration and they understood the at the various aspects of the brain when they understood all of this medically it changed the way they treated patients it changed the way they behaved it changed the way they showed up so here we are with the same invitation are we ready to know better and if we're ready to know better then are we ready to do better that's the question Now here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi, it's Martha Creek, MarthaCreek.com. This is a continued series on taking a new and revised look at the Beatitudes and specifically how to transform our heart and mind with new perspectives on these uh, ancient teachings. Today's is the fourth Beatitude, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So the key to this fourth beatitude lies in understanding maybe that the word righteousness has various meanings. What does it mean to you, righteousness? Those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. So to our post-Puritan, post-Victorian ears, it also means it's a synonym for virtue. It means being moral, behaving correctly. But in earlier times, anxious times, righteousness was something much more dynamic than that. So think about it if you can visualize it as a force field, an an energy-charged sphere of presence, of holy presence, to be, quote, in the righteousness of God as the Old Testament would refer to it. So there's nothing subtle about this experience and, the, and its fierce nature as a bond to think about then um, the, the current of even a, an, electrical wire, an electrical wire. So to hunger and thirst after righteousness speaks then to an intensity of oneness, an intensity of connectedness. And in the teaching we're promised That when the hunger arises within us to find our deepest aliveness within God's aliveness, when we um, tend that, when we follow that, when we uh, use that impulse, when we meet that, our own deepest aliveness within God's aliveness, it will be satisfied. 
And in fact, the hunger itself is assigned a sign that the bond is already in place. The hunger itself is our impulse to satisfy that. So as we continue down our path of transformation, the most valuable thing we have working in our favor is this yearning. Is this hurt, uh, thirst and hunger? Some would even say that the yearning that we feel for God is actually coming from that, from God. In fact, it's God's yearning for us, for me. The eye within which you see God is the eye in which God sees you, Meister Eckhart. So what are you yearning for? What if it's yearning for you? Quench your thirst. Quench your hunger. No more waiting. Love to you all. MarthaCreek.com And now it's time for our interview. Paul Barak is a stand-up comic, storyteller, producer, and writer from Seattle, Washington. After graduating from Carleton College, he backpacked across Europe, taught English in South Korea, ran the Seattle Marathon, I'm exhausted just hearing that, and bicycled across the United States. In his off time, he's an avid cyclist, runner, and hiker. His proudest achievements so far are earning his black belt in Kuyokoshin, is that right? Kuyokoshin. And only falling into the La Brea Tar Pits once. Fighting monks, <laughs> Fighting monks and Burning Mountains is his first book. Hi, Paul. Welcome to Big Universe. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? Doing okay. Doing okay. You uh, surviving the adventures of life these days? Um, yeah. I mean, better, like, uh, best as I can be. I got back from hiking the Pacific Crest Trail three years ago, and then I met uh, who this month will be my wife. So, Oh, oh congratulations! Yeah, thank you. So you did an incredible journey through Japan, and uh, what you talk about in your book, which is really fascinating, but I, the first and main thing I want to talk about at first is you blame ninjas. Yes. Why? Um... Well, because of uh, being, you know, an 80s kid, ninjas were all over the Saturday morning cartoons and all over my mind. And that kind of never went away. So when I was in college, uh, I took a class on Japanese religion and culture because I figured, you know, it, at least one class was going to be on ninjas. <laughs> uh, I was sorely disappointed, just as I was when Intro to Jewish Mysticism did not teach me how to make a mud golem. <laughs> uh, but uh, in that class one day uh, they were showing a video on the Shikoku pilgrimage and the, the person uh, the subject of the documentary was you know walking past rice fields and praying at all these temples and you know walking by waterfalls and just somehow just on that screen in a flash I saw myself there and uh think about eight years later I was incredibly bored at my job and thinking about you know well if this was going to be my life just working in an office and being quote-unquote responsible you know I just I wanted one last thing before uh you know before that became my life which was settling and uh the pilgrimage flashed back and I said I'm gonna go do this and I went off and did it with absolutely no preparation. Awesome. That, that reminds me of the epigraph of the book, Jim. I have to jump in 
when you go to like the, the page right after the front matter, it, it says adventure is the result of poor planning, which is a quote by Ronald. Uh, am I going to pronounce Amundsen's name right? Is it Amundsen or Amundsen? Uh, the South Pole Explorer. So I just love that you set that up at the beginning of the book. Like, I expect that means you're going to be a poor planner. Were you or were you a good planner? Uh, I was a terrible planner. <laughs> I uh, don't, I didn't speak Japanese. I didn't check if it was the hottest summer on record. Uh, the shoes I brought didn't fit right. I could barely <laughs> read a map. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I kind of went in with uh, a lot of confidence and yeah, confidence. <laughs> so why did you do it? Why did you decide that you needed to take this journey? Uh, just because normal life seemed boring. And I wanted both to uh, go off on an adventure for one final adventure and also to hopefully find like an answer in some vague way to how to live my life so that I wasn't gonna always feel like I was settling. Hmm. So on the journey, you, uh, you use the word Henro. What, is, what does Henro mean? Uh, Henro is a pilgrim on the Shikoku pilgrimage. So generally uh, about, well, most of them are uh, retirees who pay for this two week bus tour uh, so you, your tour guide provides you with the traditional white vest, with the staff, the conical sedge hat, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? Not scarf, but Sarah, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that goes across the front panel, but the name is escaping me as well. Yeah. Right down the chest, right? Yes. Um, well, cut it into post. Uh, anyway, so... Then they go and they visit and pray and do a set series of prayers at these 88 temples circling Shikoku Island, uh, going through, um, which is Shikoku means four regions. So there's Tokushima, which is the land of awakening faith, Kochi, the land of ascetic training, Ehime, the land of enlightenment, and uh, uh, Kagawa, the land of nirvana. And so the 88 temples circle through and you return back to the land of awakening faith at the end. Um, but a couple hundred every year decide to do it the traditional way and the much, much harder way and walk the whole thing. And uh, that's what I chose to do because I am allergic to doing things easily. <laughs> <laughs> and because you were a poor planner, so you didn't know what was coming, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> could have been riding on an air-conditioned bus with a bunch of Japanese. It would have been great. So you know, I think it's, oh, I'm sorry, Jim. No, go ahead, sir. You know, I think it's interesting that you said, Paul, because I was trying to Google last night how many people actually take the Shikoku Trail, because I know like the Camino de Santiago, which is the big, you know, kind of walk across Spain, mm -hmm. you get like 300,000 people a year um, because there's a lot of, you know, kind of infrastructure that's set along the way, right? Because that, that path, um, you know, places to stop and eat and stay mm -hmm. and all of that. But the Shikoku Trail is not exactly like that, right? Is that why we get kind of less people going as well? You have less infrastructure and you've got uh, to do much more of it on your own? No, there's actually uh, a lot of infrastructure. Is there? Uh, okay. Yeah, they're called ryokans. Uh, and they're like little hotels that you, little inns that you pay to stay at. That's where most of the bus henro sleep. 
but uh, there's also these little, uh, they're called rest huts, but they're like little, um, yeah, they're, they're just like basically tiny little bus stops uh, built along the route that you can sleep at for free. And I didn't have a lot of money, so I was camping out every night, which is another option. Um, I don't know why a lot of people don't do it. Uh, it's it's weird. In Japan, they say that more people have been to Paris than Shikoku Island. Mm. Uh, it's actually not a very well-known pilgrimage, even in Japan. And when I, uh, I flew in to uh, Tokyo uh, right before I started the pilgrimage, and I was staying with a couple of friends of mine from karate, and one of, uh, they were native Japanese people, and uh, one of them was just like, how did you hear about this? Because I told my friends that you were going to go on this hike, and they'd barely heard about it. Interesting. So like, yeah, how does, how does a Westerner know? I was like, well, if you take a class that you think is going to be about ninjas, you'll you'll learn a lot more. <laughs> Always comes back to the ninjas. <laughs> so the do most people take this as kind of a spiritual journey? Uh, is that their yeah. yeah yeah that's um you know they're uh, doing it to pray for the health of a loved one or to you know pray for success in their business or, and. You know, some of them just go to sightsee. You know, Shikoku Island is a very, it's the most rural and smallest of the Japanese islands. And it's a lot of countryside. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, rice fields and this long string of mountains running through. Uh, it's, it's pretty beautiful out there. Um, so a lot of people want to go and kind of just experience this rural countryside that is so different from, you know, hyper-industrialized Japan. Interesting, interesting. Hyper-modernized, I should say. Sure, sure. So was it worth it? Oh, yeah, without doubt. Um, it was uh, odd because, you know, I had a lot of adventures on it, as I'm sure you read in the book. You know, like the first day I got charged by a boar. By the third day, I'm collapsing from dehydration. You know, two weeks in, I hide out from guards in a toilet stall. I break part of an ancient temple. Then I get a leg infection in the fall. Then I fight a, you know, I have a karate match with a priest on a mountaintop. And <laughs> it was incredible. Um, but also like a lot of the insights from it and a lot of the changes that I noticed happened uh, years later. Like... I, I finished it and I knew something big had happened, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We've got lots more to talk about. I want to hear more about your journey and about the Henra Oaths and all kinds of stuff. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I have within me greater power than I have used, more life than I have lived, more strength than I've known. I have within me. Greater talent to express, more courage I can muster, more faith that I can show. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm with Paul Barak and Sarah Bowen. So, Paul, you know, this is an incredible journey, and I want to, I want to get uh, more about your path to enlightenment. I know you're fully enlightened now. Um, now, um, you made your own rules, and there are, but there are Henro oaths that you have to take. And yeah. uh, I believe in that Kukai will save all beings, don't complain on the pilgrimage, all things can be saved in the present world. Can you talk about those a little bit? Uh, sure. So, um, belief it, so Kukai was an eighth century monk and the founder of a type of Buddhism called Shingon, uh, which believes that all beings can be saved and reach enlightenment in this lifetime with, uh, enough, uh, dedication. So, uh, the first oath is, you know, believe that Kukai will save all things is, um, I mean, I'm, you know, a Jewish raised atheist with uh, Buddhist inclinations. So to me, it was less about believing, you know, for 42 days that Kukai was going to save me, but more accepting that I was entering a someone else's world and that I had to be very um, humble and accepting that I was in another place. Uh, for the pilgrims, uh, Kukai is an enormous figure, uh, or not enormous, but just very present in the pilgrimage. Like on your white pilgrim's vest down the back, it says uh, two traveling is one, because you're traveling with Kukai. Uh, your staff also represents Kukai traveling alongside you. And anyone, uh, who lives along the pilgrimage route uh, will give you gifts called osetai, which are an offering to Kukai, which you which he accepts through you. Mm. Uh, osetai can be anything from like an Asian pear to a cup of cold coffee to a ride. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's how Kukai is very personally uh, connected to you on the pilgrimage. Uh, the second one, remind me again. Don't complain. On don't the complain. Yes. Uh, yeah. I wonder if that's why we have to remind you which one it is. Were you yeah. a complainer? <laughs> I'm very good. At, you can ask my fiance. I'm very good at complaining. <laughs> it's, uh, one of, it's one of my top skills. I've got my 10,000 hours in. Uh, I think something that has been on my mind recently about the no complaining thing is like, uh, so I picked the wrong shoes uh, to wear. And, you know, there's not a lot of size 12s in rural Japan back in 20. Uh, and so my feet were just, every step was painful. Like every step was on bruises, blisters, you know, muscle strains. And I was just sort of stuck with it. And, you know, not complaining was, you know, easy because no one else spoke English. So who was I going <laughs> to talk to? Um, but, you know, through the land of ascetic training, uh, which is the longest section and the hardest, it's known as devil's country. Um, I had a lot of time to kind of try to find the meaning in it, try to find like, 
how am I going to not let this pain that I'm constantly in define the journey and be and overtake the journey? And so near the end of the land of ascetic training, uh, I kind of got it into my mind that each step, you know, the boredom, the heat, the pain was my offering to the pilgrimage. Like that is what I was going to give to the journey without expecting anything back. And so every temple, that was my dedication. Uh, and I think that by not complaining, you are forced to find the meaning in it rather than simply being like, this sucks and spiraling into that mode of, I just want to escape rather than I am going to act, use this as access to further being here. Very interesting. So all things can be saved in the present world and strive for enlightenment. Yeah. So that, uh, again, is Shingon Buddhism. All things can be saved in the present world. Everyone can achieve enlightenment in this uh, lifetime. Um, but for me, the meaning behind that was that I was going to say all the prayers and really try to devote myself to the pilgrimage. And, you know, like buy-in is a cheap way of saying it, but it's sort of that I would accept the ritual and hope to put the meaning in later or hope the meaning would be there later. But I would do the rit I would perform all the rituals, visit all the temples, go through all the steps because that is the, the effort itself is part of the, uh, part of the training. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a line you have in the, the back of the book, and this is not a spoiler alert, folks. This is, <laughs> um, but where you say that something you wrote in your journal was don't define the journey while you're still on it. Mm. And that really hit me because, you know, so often we can be so judgmental and critical and trying to find the, you know, what is the meaning immediately of this and that and this and that. And, and the process seems so much more um, kind of accepting and at the same time, really humorous. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was saying to, to the listeners in, the, in our opening that I remember emailing you right after finishing the book and saying, write another book. I, I'm side splitting. Like I'm, I'm just, I can't stop laughing. And so what do you think um, is that power of, of humor um, and that kind of not, not trying to define things? Are those interrelated? I think humor is about defining something in a different way, like coming at something from a different angle. Um, but I think also, but yeah, I think the genesis of it is maybe trying to find the different angle and also the don't define the journey while you're on it is sort of a way to approach each day and each situation openly, you know, mm. don't, be like okay well does this relate to does this experience relate to what i am uh supposed to be experiencing right now you know like like with the uh with my shoes it was being open to the idea that this wasn't just a burden that i was stuck with that i had to ignore uh it or you know that now that 
entire pilgrimage is awful because this is really painful and sucks like a lot. Um, but it, it's more, it's also about like being on a journey, you know, is a lot about taking it all in without too much judgment. Because when you start to define something, you're going to say that, you know, it's this and not that when it could be both. And you have to accept that you're not gonna understand everything in the moment or even years later. And that is, is equally a valid part of the experience as the parts where it's like the answer's right in front of you. Now you made your own rules too. And one of the things you were talking about uh, previously is that you recited prayers with each visit to each temple, and there are 88 of them. Why did you decide to do that? Uh, again, it was to invest myself in this journey. Mm. You know, it, this was not supposed to be a, I picked it because it was going to be a challenge and it was gonna be something that was regimented and ritualistic and different from just backpacking through Europe where, you know, you like, for me, backpacking through anywhere is a lot of like, okay, well, I looked at that. Now I'm going to drink over there. <laughs> <laughs> get a selfie, get a drink. Yeah, yeah exactly. On. Well, yeah. That, thing, that thing's older than my country. All right, let's go to this bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Shikoku pilgrimage just seemed like such a different world uh, and such a unique thing to do. So no music, no running, no booze. That's all part of being being present in, in the situation. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No escapes. You know, feel every Oh, that's step. well said. Yeah. No escapes. Feel all the boredom, feel all the uh, discomfort, and, you know, deal with it. I'm just curious, what kind of, how did you journal? I mean, you, you did you have like a, a paper, pen and paper kind of journal? Or did you do yeah. it on your yeah. device or? No, I did it all digitally, uh, or not, sorry, not digitally. I did it analog. Uh, I had a little uh, voice recorder, so I'd take notes throughout the day of stuff to remember, and then I'd sit down, write out everything I remembered, and then put the notes in, in mm-hmm. case it was something I forgot. And, you know, all the photos I was taking, too. But that was, uh, that was the last journey I think I'll ever take without a smartphone, which really makes it special. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy your time and don't panic. That would seem like a really important, especially the don't panic part of it. Yeah, I failed at that pretty miserably. <laughs> oh, we want to hear about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, when you have, uh, so when I, I'm a kind of a hypochondriac anyway, because uh, worry comes natural. And I, when I fell, when I snapped a piece of, uh, a board off of an ancient temple as I was trying to jump oh, off the rock wall. I got this, uh, my leg got infected because that's how karma works. But <laughs> I also was like totally panicked because I'm used to the American healthcare system. So I'm like, well, this is going to bankrupt me, you know, because I don't have that much money. And so I was in denial for a good three days where I was like, yeah, you know, it's just sunburn just a, a weird sunburn that I have on only one leg, you know, how sunburn makes your legs swell and, <laughs> uh, you know, sunburn, we've all had it. Uh, 
And it actually took, uh, I was walking, I was so panicked that I missed a section and, or I missed an exit and walked, had to walk up the exit of the temple. And I ran into uh, the first Westerner I'd seen in, I think, 37 days at that point, like 30 a month. Do you speak English? And she goes, yeah. And then the second thing I said to her was, does this look infected to you? <laughs> That's the way to meet new people. Yeah. You know, you break the ice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> then I went to a hospital and it cost $67 because uh, we need Medicare for all. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one episode of panic, but it's not like I was, uh, super cool ever seeing boar again after getting charged by the first one yeah talk about that what what happened there you know it just i was it was the first day it was the end of the day i was exhausted and you know barely able to walk i'm walking off the uh off the trail towards another temple and i just turn a corner and there's a boar with its two little babies uh which, uh, funny enough, I learned in Japanese are called melon babies because uh, of the striping. And then she squares up at me and I start backpedaling and then she charges. So I backpedal faster and like skirt around a tree and she didn't come after me like close because I would have been a dead man. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, I saw either boar or heard them as I was like hiking a couple more times and each time you're just like, Oh God, like, I hope it doesn't have kids with it, but I also just don't want to see them anyway. I mean, as I say in the book, you, you'd think they're awesome cause they're made of bacon, but their mouths are filled with knives. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's an interesting way to start your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Really, uh, really told me I was out of my element early. Which it sounds like uh, is what you might have been looking for, being out of that element. So the universe yeah. provides. Yeah, yeah. Be careful what you wish for, really. That's right. That's right. Can you talk a little bit, Jim, do we have time for Paul to talk a little bit about what it's like when you go to each one of the temples? Of course. What, what do you, I mean, I know the answer, but for the folks that haven't read, I don't know exactly as well as Paul does, but for those who have not read the book yet, could you talk a little bit about like what you do when you're not running from boars and sleeping in little huts sure and uh please read the book and buy it uh plug <laughs> um, so the when you go to a temple the each temple's different but it all starts out with the neomon which are these two carvings of heavenly uh kings that flank the alcoves uh they uh are look very fearsome and keep all the evil spirits out so you bow to them and that you know, de-ghosts you, so all the evil spirits melt away. You go inside. Uh, the first thing you do is ring the bell in the courtyard. So there's like a um, a big bell with a, a, a log clapper usually. So you ring that, and that announces your presence to the gods and lets them know that you've arrived to pray. Then you go to a little um, sink with a tin, with a dipper. You dip out, dip it onto your hands and your mouth, and that clears out, that cleans you and cleanses you for the prayer. Um, so after that, go to the 
first temple or go to the main shrine, and that's uh, one of the different Buddhist demigods. Uh, you say a set series of prayers announcing that you've come to pray, uh, praying for praying to the specific deity, uh, praying that saying the entire Heart Sutra, and then following up by uh, wishing that all uh, all creatures and all people will achieve enlightenment in this time. Um, it's a little fuzzy, so I might have skipped one or two of those. Uh, then after the, then, oh, sorry. And before that, you put an offering in, usually just like a little bit of money and one of your prayer slips, which you write your name on. Uh, then bow to that, move, go over to the shrine with Kukai, which each temple has. Say the same prayers, but one specifically for Kukai. Uh, after that, you go to the stamp office with and you have uh, this book called your stamp book it's basically a spiritual passport uh in the olden times it was the way to prove that you weren't a spy that you were just literally walking around the island uh to pray so the person in the stamp office takes a horsehair brush and draws a calligraphy of the name of the temple and then you get three red stamps stamped down the side of it or stamped across the page and that clears you, uh, and then you pay 300 yen, uh, walk back out of the Neomon, uh, give another bow out of respect, and then you move on to the next temple. Oh. Jim, I want to go to Japan. We need to road trip. Can we take Big Universe to Japan and Shikoku and do 88 of our episodes at a different temple? I'll check, I'll check the budget. I'll check the budget. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, of course, we're in lockdown right now, so I'm not sure uh, right. what, how that impacts pilgrimage all over the world. Uh, I, I think it blocks it. I mean, I'm, yeah. I think they might have canceled the Hajj this year. Hmm. Wow. That's unprecedented, I suspect. Yeah. I mean, hmm. there's a lot that's unprecedented right now. Hmm. So we talked a little bit earlier about you know, enlightenment and, and what you discovered. And, you know, you said a few years later, you, you were able to kind of assess it a little bit more. What, what kind of things did you discover? What, what do you think about the journey now? Well, uh, first off, I want to say that uh, in writing the book, I did want to express to people that a lot of the time when you do big journeys, Again, it's part of being open to them, but you might go through a lot of experiences and still not get the answer that you're looking for uh, or an answer that is um, an answer that seems big, you know, like a lot of the time your answers are all small and not things you expected as uh, one as a priest before I left uh, told me, because there was a Shingon temple by where I lived, he said, it's the journey you need. Uh, mm. You know, which to me was like, oh, cool. So an old man's going to give me a sword and tell me I'm great. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when, uh, but yeah, like a lot of, and a lot of time you'll, uh, people will come back and not, feel like they've changed an enormous amount or not really sure why they went on it. And that can be really discouraging and stop people from, you know, stop someone else from going on the, on a journey or uh, make someone stop thinking about it. 
and I wanted to let people know that that also can happen and that some lessons that you get are very subtle. Uh, for me, it was, I mean, one of the things was just this enduring understanding that I was not going to be happy doing office work. There wasn't one little, there wasn't one journey I could take that would satisfy my need to travel. Uh, that would satisfy my dislike of sitting down and doing what's things that seem meaningless. Um, and a lot of it was just little stuff. Like I still meditate every day if I can. Um, I view challenges differently. Uh, I gained a greater patience and a greater understanding of how you uh, deal with disappointments in life. Um, and, you know, just that I also uh, changed the way I wear shoes. I started wearing barefoot <laughs> shoes after that, which uh, made an enormous difference. Uh, and, you know, I'm, felt like I'm being paid for by the barefoot shoe industry, but uh, zero drop shoes are amazing for hiking and I highly recommend them. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it, it's little stuff, you know, it's not anything, it changed my life, but not in ways that I was expecting. And that maybe is the big, uh, one of the big revelations you can take away. But then again, you know, like I went and hiked the Pacific Crest Trail uh, three years ago and went into it again, very open, not like, oh, this is going to solve all my problems, but just I need to get away from civilization after a couple of really, you know, grief-stricken traumatic losses. And it healed me up in a way that I'm still trying to figure out. So, yeah, I, th I think it's just being open and trying not to define anything else that happens in your life. So you would do another pilgrimage? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd totally go do this Camino de Santiago. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, or, you know, I, I, yeah, I think pilgrimages are incredibly valuable, but so are long distance hikes. So are long distance bike rides. I think every journey, uh, every journey can be inc as incredibly spiritual as a pilgrimage. I think it's just what, uh, how much do you like rules and, you know, how much do you like having a set structure for it? I was telling Jim that um, I've been, since we had booked you to come on here, I've really been feeling like, I need pilgrimage, I need travel, I need pilgrimage, and that's really hard in, in lockdown. So I, I did one in my yard the other day. Oh, nice. Just going around and saying, like, who's living here and who's appeared. Um, what advice would you give to people who are doing pilgrimage either, like right now, we, you know, whether it's virtual or it's around our home or if we go on the long trip what what advice do you have for folks who are like i want to go do this um the advice that i would give for anyone who's you know thinking about going on the shikoku pilgrimage or any pilgrimage is uh uh as hypocritical as it is do your research <laughs> <laughs> and now we're back to uh, ronald yeah. Amundsen, right? Yeah, read, read up on it. Um, but also don't be, don't worry about how doing, you know, enough research. 
um, you'll figure it out when you get out there. Uh, you know, I did no research and I had it figured out by the end. Um, and also it's a lot easier to do nowadays, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, don't, don't be, don't let feeling like you don't fully understand what you're getting into stop you. Mm. Uh, because that can really hold you back in a lot of ways, just in life in general, you know, people are resilient. You figure out what you need to do. And I mean, you know, like when I hiked uh, the Pacific Crest Trail last year, uh, you know, everyone was freaked out about everything. And about um, two weeks to a month in, you have it down. Mm-hmm. You've talked to people on it. You've dropped the gear you don't need. You've picked up what you do. Um, and also, uh, just to the second part of like what to do if you're around your apartment, uh, something I've started doing that's been strangely, uh, what's the word, profound, is just go outside set a timer for like five minutes and then just don't look at your phone and just sit, just sit and be outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and let you let yourself get bored, you know, let thoughts pass, look around, see how, just see how much stuff happens and see how much, see what passes in like three to five minutes. And I found that that's incredibly centering even more than like meditation sometimes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on Big Universe. Paul, it's been great to have you on. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, you can follow Paul Barak uh, at his website. Is that correct? PaulBarakComic.com? Uh, no, that uh, that website is done. You can find me on Instagram at Barack Outdoors. And you can find my book on Amazon in ebook, uh, audiobook, and print. Awesome. And it's Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains. Yep. Awesome. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to www.spiritual-rebel.com. I've got some premium video courses and I help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. I hope you join me there. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.